last week, we are in Acts chapter 14. If you've got your Bible, you can turn there or we'll just read the verses together. We just have seven verses tonight. Um, we spoke about last week, we were in chapter 13. From verse 13, we, we looked at um, Paul and Barnabas, who um, I've got actually the map here for us so we can just keep track. But in chapter 13... We see them going to Perga when Paul and Barnabas arrive there in Perga. They drop off or they lose or they let go John Mark. He doesn't want to continue with them. And then they go up to Sidian Antioch and they had some interesting experiences there. The first thing they, they did when they got into town is go where? They go into the synagogue. They go to a place where people were, would be more likely to uh, listen to the Word of God. And they just quietly sit down. And then they get invited to speak. And then the guys of the synagogue made a mistake. Don't let Paul speak. I mean, Paul stands up and he delivers an incredible sermon, whatever you want to call it. And he, he talks about Jesus. He talks about Jesus very powerfully and encourages the people. And many people believed, the text says, and many were encouraged. And it seems like that week went by... They invited, so, so first they invited Paul back to come the next week, but, and it sort of seems like that week the message really went through this town. It simmered into the hearts and the minds of people because the text says the next week the whole town had come to listen to Paul and Barnabas. It must have been an incredible message. Hey guys, there's a guy in Jerusalem who died, was resurrected from the grave. Incredible story, and people came to listen to that. But... As always, great story, there has to be an antagonist, right? The Jews, <laughs> the Jews have an issue, especially the leaders, because they see all the people are flocking after Paul and Barnabas and this new message, they have a problem with that. They are losing, they are losing popularity. And so they start to persecute um, Paul and Barnabas. The text says they laid abuse on them, and it reminded me of that text on, in, in Peter, you know, where, where it just says, you, you know, People who um, you will find it strange, people who don't believe in the gospel will find it strange that we do not plunge with them into the same flood of, uh, that we do not jump with them into the same flood of dissipation, and so they heap abuse on us. One of the, the things that the um, ungodly generation likes to do is to heap abuse on God's people, and we see that with, with Paul and them as well. And so the Jews reject Paul and Barnabas. What do they do when they leave town? They shake the dust off their feet and they reject them. Say, okay, well, we'll go. They get expelled from the region. And that brings us to where we are tonight. So they leave um, city in Antioch. And the next place they go to is Iconium. <laughs> so they move over to Iconium. But as you know, what I like to do on Sunday nights is just ask a few questions first for us to think about. When do you think people listen best to the Word of God? When do they listen best? To the Word of God. Maybe when they go through a real difficult time, um, maybe when they go through a trial, they are more likely to listen to the Word of God. And um, Second question is, how do you handle uncomfortable truth? Personally. Uncomfortable truth. When you have to face it, how do you handle that? Are you generally a person that's open to accept something that goes totally against your uh, belief system or goes against the grain. Uh, thirdly, what do we do about people who are numb to the gospel? So you might know some people in your life and they just don't um, respond to the gospel at all. What do you do about that? Do you try to keep on hammering them? 
with the word or do you do something else? You can answer if you like. Love them. I like that. Keep on loving them. Last question. How can America or even Christianity ever be united? Focusing on the same mission. Yeah. Ooh. Believing the same word. Yes. This is a difficult question. Aaron, you've, you've resolved this one, eh? <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. I think, I think the States was really united with 9-11, probably. Most united then. When they had the same issue and the same mission. So I think both are correct. Mission and then the word. Let's, let's unpack this just quickly. We don't have anything complicated tonight, but let's look at what happens here in Acts chapter 14. Verse 1 says, At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. So they go again. Where do they go as usual? They go to the synagogue where they would have an audience. An audience. People who already believe in God, it's easier to connect with them first. Um, and at these synagogues we picked up in Syrian and Antioch, generally they would allow visitors to speak, it seems like. Remember, they've got their local members, and then these two foreigners walk in, and they sit at the back of the synagogue. Um, I, I think they like to have these traveling preachers speak. So it was the, the rational place to go. Now, what struck me here, which is interesting, is that their conversion, the conversion of these people, or, or, or their belief, seems to have been caused by what? Effective speaking. Effective speaking. Let me ask a question. Does this ring a bell about Paul at one point who said that he deliberately tried not to speak eloquently? Or am I losing you? Yeah, you, you know what I'm talking about. And so that's the first thing that came to my mind. He said that in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5. I'll read it for you. You can write it down and go grapple with it at home. And listen to what he says here. And he says, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, which is Corinth. And Corinth was a different story. You can go read about that, Acts chapter 18. I mean... It was tough for Paul to go into Corinth. He says, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that, this is key, your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. This is something that often that I wrestle with as a, as, as, a, as a preacher. I don't want people to believe because I say something the right way. You want people to believe because the gospel is simple and, and understandable, right? And so, it makes you wonder. I mean, maybe sometimes we just have to say things simply and straightforward. Anyways, it seems like a contradiction for me. Hang in there. You have them in Iconium speak so effectively that people believe. And then Paul writes about his experience in Corinth, and he's almost saying, I tried so hard to not speak effectively or eloquently. How do we deal with that? I think we've got to, we're dealing with two different words, and I think we need to distinguish between eloquence and effectiveness. Eloquence and effectiveness. Human skill, human skill is eloquence. Human skill can make you eloquent... But only the Spirit can make you effective. 
Only the Spirit can make you effective. It's, it's devoid of, human, of, of the human element. I believe Paul and Barnabas was effective here in Iconium. You know why? Because they were led by the Spirit, number one. They were led by the Spirit. They had just come out of persecution. Remember, they were chased away from city and Antioch. Uh, their lives were in danger. Um, I think that they were on fire. I think when you have to stand by your faith and risk your life, it puts you on real fire. You're ready to die. Like John Wesley said, get on fire for God and men will come and see you burn. I like that. So I think these guys, they probably walked prayerfully. They came from Syria. They, 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 were, they, they knew that this was a life-risking mission. Um, and I believe, secondly, so firstly, because they were led by the Spirit. But secondly, I think they were effective because they were communicating with people who were seeking God. And the Spirit had already worked in those people's lives. And we've spoken about this many times before. The goal of the mission is to get into touch with people whom God is already communicating with, whom God is already working in their hearts. That's what happens here. This mission was orchestrated by the Spirit. The Spirit knew that there would be people in Iconium that would be looking for God, and the Spirit led the, the apostles there. So, that, so number one, they were led by the Spirit. Number two, they were talking to seekers. There were individuals in Iconium that were ready for the message. Myself and John have one guy that we like to listen to, um, Frank Turek, and he says, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. These guys in Iconium, there were guys in Iconium that were ready for the gospel message. And the teachers appeared, Paul and Barnabas. So effective speaking is dependent on the listener as well. It's dependent on the listener too. Just because some people don't listen when you speak, doesn't mean your speaking is ineffective. It could just mean that they are not ready. So when your message falls on deaf ears, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. You don't have to go cry about it in the room. Oh, I've always said the wrong words. Maybe their hearts are just not ready for it. Why am I lingering here? Well, to give us confidence tonight. To give us confidence. The text says they spoke so effectively. It doesn't use the word keruchma. They did not preach. It doesn't use the word euangelizio. They didn't preach the gospel. It just says they spoke. Laleo. Simple communication. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me remind you what the prophets said. That's something that we can do. You can do. I can do. And we can do it effectively in the kitchen around a cup of coffee. Uh, simple. They spoke. And who did the rest? The Spirit does the rest. The Spirit started it. And the Spirit will end it. So we are dependent on the Spirit. Let's go to verse 2. So they spoke so effectively, but the Jews refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Always, you got to have an antagonist. Luke does a good job at recording that for us. So their speaking was not that effective, was it? Because not everybody believed. Can we blame the speaking? Or were some people just not interested in the truth? I believe the latter is correct. Some people were not interested in the truth. They refused to believe. Now, here we see something interesting that is neatly playing out in our society. Why don't the Jews, these guys who have a problem, they receive, refuse to believe, why don't they just go to the Gentiles and say to them, listen, man, 
We, believe, we don't believe this nonsense, but it's okay if you don't. Why do they want others to believe what they believe? Something very interesting happening in our time as well. We want to force our beliefs on others. Ideologues say, we believe men can be women, but you believe what you want. That's not the message that's going out in the world. The message is, you better believe men can also be women. Otherwise, there's persecution. Otherwise, there's, there's anger. The lie doesn't want to make any space for the truth. It wants to eradicate it. The lie doesn't want to make space for the truth. It wants to eradicate it. So they actively go out of their way to poison the mind of the Gentiles. That is what we call indoctrination, not education. Education is saying, hey, here's both sides. Study it and make up your mind. Indoctrination says there is only one way, and you better agree with it. There's no other way. Um, and unfortunately, I think that's what hap what's happening at many of the universities. I, I'm very fearful about whether I will ever send my child to a university in the States. It looks like, it looks like it's serious indoctrination over there. I, I might have shared this with you before. I went to Bar and, and the other side is true. This isn't just a sort of a liberal concept. I mean, I was, uh, went to Bible college in South Africa, Southern Africa Bible College, and I wasn't taught there to think. I was taught what to believe. They told me, you must believe this, 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 X, Y, and Z. That's what you must believe. Study that, write exam. And if you don't write that, then you, you have a problem. That's indoctrination. That's poisoning of my mind. I go to university. I go to a secular university, University of the Western Cape, with people from various backgrounds. And they say, hey, believe whatever you want, but prove it. Which one do you think is most accurate? Best way to deal with it. Yeah. The truth fears no questions. Be careful of any ideology that forces you to submit to it instead of allowing a divergent opinion. And then we see the same thing happen here as what we saw in Syria and Antioch. And I, I suggest, I think we're going to see it right through the book of Acts. The same thing. Who do they attack? The beautiful thing about Syria and Antioch is they attacked Paul and Barnabas and they didn't attack the message. And what happened? The message spread and Paul and Barnabas left. They attacked the messengers. <coughs> and I can imagine Paul and Barnabas is like, hey, I didn't write the mail, dude. I just deliver it. But they attacked them. They put their minds against the brothers. Why not put their minds against the message? It's against the brothers. It's interesting. When you dislike the message, you attack the messenger. This is why we need to expect persecution, because we do carry an offensive message. People will persecute us. They turn on us. They turn on the truth bearers when they dislike the truth. People take it personal, and they make it personal when offensive truth comes to their ears. Um... And I think we need to be different too. We need to be different too. We have a, we have a saying, my, myself and John, we often talk about this. In rugby, any of you ever watched rugby? You know what rugby is about? Yeah, you're a man, half a man. <laughs> I'm just joking. But in rugby, it, it works like this. You can, you can only pass the ball backwards. 
You can kick it forward, but you can only pass it backwards. And you can only tackle the guy with the ball. That's the rule. So if I have the ball and Brother Tom comes to tackle me, he'll never be able to. But in any case, but let's say, for example, he tries. I take the ball, and as he comes closer, I pass it to the next guy. And he can't touch me. He's not allowed to touch me. Right? And the boys are starting to play football, and I see it's really the case. Like, everybody just tackles everybody. In rugby, you just tackle the guy with the ball. And we have a saying, we have a saying in, in rugby, we say, play the ball, not the man. Don't get angry at the man. Get the ball. When you got the ball, you can change the game. You can score the try. You can make the points. Put the points on the, on the, on the thing. But what's interesting here is that what does Satan do? Let's say the ball is the gospel and the man is the apostles, right? Who are these people playing? They're playing the man. That's why Satan always loses. Because the message spread... The ball's already by the wings who's going to score the try while Satan is still tackling the fly-off, which is the guy who got the ball first. But I thought about this this afternoon when I was preparing this. I was thinking about it. The South African rugby team. Now, by the way, in, in, in September, upcoming, I think it's starting the 14th of September or somewhere along that, it's the Rugby World Cup. I've shared it with you. And sorry, for the next two months, you're going to unfortunately hear about it now and then. The Springboks is the South African rugby team. They are the world champions currently. And there's something about South African rugby players. They're just crazy. They're just very, very hard and very, very aggressive. They're called Boer people. And they are big. What they do is, when the game starts, what they do is, in the first 10 minutes... The first contact, the first time there's physical contact, they break the opposing team. They run into them with elbows. They don't just tackle them. They try to tackle their bodies in two. They scrum hard. They use their heads. And you know why they do that? Because they're intimidating the opposing team. They want to hurt them to the extent that they don't want to touch the ball. And I suspect that's exactly, because um, we might look at this and say, well, that's not a clever trick of you, Satan. You want to attack the messages, but Satan's like, hey, if I attack these guys and I hurt them, maybe they won't want to touch the ball again. Maybe they want to stop talking about Jesus. And I see that happen often. It's like humiliating talking about Christ to strangers. So I'm not going to do that. It's like, so maybe it works. Maybe this is a good strategy that Satan has. He attacks the messenger because he's hoping he won't spread the message anymore. Let's go to verse 3. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of His grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The Jews are opposing the apostles by poisoning the minds of the Gentiles. And I would think like, okay, you know, we are up against the power here that's maybe a little bit difficult to deal with. Let's retreat. Uh, Paul and Barnabas is like, no, let's stay. Let's fight. You see, because verse 3 follows from verse 2. Verse 2 just said that they poison their minds. And verse 3 says, so because of the poisoning of the minds, they hang around a little bit longer. Let's stay longer. Let's Preach boldly, and the word 
preached now is starting being used in this text. Talking turns into preaching. Game on. And what does God do? The bolder you get, the more heaven becomes available to you. Right? From talking laleo, they now start preaching boldly. And heaven's like, okay, I can see your commitment. Let me open heaven and let me send some signs and miracles to go together with the preaching of the word. Let's take these guys on. So he sends signs and wonders through the apostles. And once again, once again, we see the real reason for signs and wonders and miracles. Can you see it? This is what it is. Signs and wonders confirm what? The Word confirms the preaching of the gospel. That was the purpose of the preaching of the gospel. I, was, I don't know if I've got it on. Yeah, I do. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3 to 4. How shall we escape if we ignore so great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Yo, this, is, this is loaded, but just a few things. Number one, if God wants to do a miracle, He's going to do it regardless of what you think or feel. Right? It's according to His will. We can agree on that, right? But the real thing I just want us to focus on is this. Remember what it's about. God is not interested, as interested in healing us and doing miracles and wonders for the sake of healing us and doing miracles and wonders. He did this so that it could confirm the gospel message. To confirm, hey, you guys don't believe what Paul and Barnabas are saying? Okay, boom. I'll show you quickly how he drives out a demon or he heals a blind man. Then you'll know it's the power of God that's in this person. And then you'll believe the message. Right? The truth was testified by from heaven through signs and wonders. Question. How do you wake up someone whose mind have been poisoned? You think this could potentially work? A miraculous, supernatural event happened in front of them. Do you think that could shock their minds into some type of a, of a soberness? Yes, I think that's what happens here. There comes a point where speaking about the gospel and Christ has no more effect from you or me. People's minds sometimes have been darkened to the point where they, 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 their eyes are veiled. They cannot see the gospel. They believe the lie. And only something supernatural will wake them up. It is for this reason that we pray for people. So when I, when I say and others say, hey, we need to pray for the people in our community or we need to pray for X and Y and Z. We need to pray that God does something great in their lives that they know can only come from heaven. That's what opens up their hearts towards the gospel. We need to pray this about atheists. We need to pray even for this, which I've picked up here. We were with some people, oh, the weeks just go by and you know, there's people and names and I don't even know. It's a blur. Is it just me? Is everybody? Blur. 
just me. I don't know. You know, he's sitting with these people and we ask them, we ask them are you guys Christians? And they say, yes, yeah, but it doesn't feel like they are. It feels so dead. And it feels like there's nothing that you can say to help them just to have life. Because there's no life. You can feel it. The fruits of the Spirit's not there. What do you do? Even people who claim to be Christians need a powerful hand of God and the work of the Spirit in their lives. We need to pray even for them. All right. So verse 4 says, The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others sided with the apostles. Logical conclusion, right? There was a divide. One side had the truth. The other side didn't. It was a black and white issue. One side had miracles. The other side didn't. Now, we don't want division, but I think it is necessary. It's like we really have a desire for one, being one, as a nation, as Christians. But there's a point where there's just nothing you can do about it. One day, there will be a divide. The Bible talks about it. Sheep and goats, weeds and wheat, those on the left, those on the right. Truth cannot be on both sides. It's just a fact. You can't be on both sides. And we live in a time where words like tolerance, inclusiveness, acceptance have become virtuous words in our contemporary um, mindset. And in the name of those things, we are being challenged to sacrifice truth, which we cannot do. We cannot do. There will only ever be unity, my brother DeMilt, when everybody accepts the truth. It's the only way. It's the only way, unfortunately. And because we know that the way to unity is truth, what we try to do is we bend the truth. We bend the truth to be inclu as inclusive as much as we can, to include as many as possible. And that probably happened in this town too. Can you imagine at night, these guys were debating, you're this, you're that, it's a gray matter, it's a black and white matter. I don't know, what do you think it was? It's, you know, sometimes when we're in the thick of it, we can't see the black and white, because we're in the thick of it. That's why they were divided. They also had like, let's say like the political situation in, in America, Republican, Democrats, like left or right, left or right. Maybe there were good people on both sides as well. Yeah, but did you see the miracles? Yeah, but that doesn't matter. Can you imagine how the debates are going on in this town? The division was real. You for Christ or you're against Him? I don't, I don't know what you think, but I, I wondered about this. How could anyone disbelieve the apostolic message in this town with its miracles? How can anybody walk away from that and say, okay, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't believe these guys. You want to give a shot? Anybody? Yes, brother. Yeah. And, and Jesus walking through the, through the towns of Bethsaida, and he says, if the miracles that were performed in you were performed in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. 
So we can't say that, well, there will be more people on the earth believing in Jesus if there were more miracles. You've got to be very careful of that. I think that um, if you don't love the truth, you will believe whatever suits you, regardless of the evidence. If you don't love the truth, you'll believe whatever suits you, regardless of the evidence. And you will make any argument to appease yourself. And you'll find like-minded people to support what you believe, what you've decided you believe. And today, you can find anything. Listen to this. Dude. Yes, Savannah. You can find anything. Anything on YouTube that agrees with whatever you wanted to believe. Anything. You can find any video that will support what you want to believe. Yeah, I've got friends who believe the earth is flat. You've heard of the flat earthers? There's lots of YouTube videos over those things. Lots, lots, lots. And I can give you many crazy examples. So, the last few verses. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. Kill them, guys. Kill them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lycaonian cities of Lystra and Derby and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. There comes a point where we just have to agree to disagree. That was the point here. It seems like things have come to a, to a head. They came to the synagogue, they preached the gospel. Some believed, some didn't believe. Then the Jews came, and they poisoned the minds of some of the Gentiles. Then Paul and Barnabas decided, okay, let's stay longer, and it's a wrestling match. It's a spiritual and an intellectual wrestling match, together with some supernatural elements taking place in this town. But then it comes to a point where the enemy says, we've had enough of this, we're going to kill you. And that pulls the plug of the mission. Or, well, at least for Barnabas and, and Paul. Um, the Jews and Gentiles and their rulers unified against the apostles and plotted to kill them. And that tells me that they were probably in the authority, that they had the rulers of the town in their pockets. The opposing team had the rulers of the town in their pockets. It reminds me that our war is not against what? Yes, but against the... Yes. The gospel message probably had political significance, hence the agreed upon persecution from the, from the rulers. Although the rulers had instigated the assassination, I believe this was also God saying, okay, you have done what you can here. You have reached everyone. It's time to move on to greener pastures. Don't keep on bumping your head on the same door. It's time to move on. And we see the same theme. They're trying to kill them. The, the opposers, you can watch this. There's so many lessons in here. I just couldn't, you know, put everything down. The brain is a bit fried today. But people who hate the truth are the first to turn to violence. Watch carefully. People who oppose the truth are the first to turn to violence. That's what we see here. So just three thoughts. John 18.37. I think this is such a powerful text. If you ever want to figure out what is the truth, 
Remember this verse. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. You want to know if somebody's in love with the truth? Just see if they listen to Jesus. Because Jesus carries the truth. Ultimately, He carries all truth. If anything disagrees with Jesus, it's not true. Run away from it. Choose the other side. It's not. You're not on the side of Christ. Secondly, the truth will divide people. It is what it is. We can do what we want. We can try and change the truth, bend the truth. The truth will divide people. It's just a fact. It is what it is. We have to choose. You and I have to choose. On the side of truth or on the side of the lie. It's difficult. Jesus said He came to bring a sword. He came to divide. And so we're going to find people in our lives. He said He came to even divide families. There's going to be, there's going to be people. It's going, to, it's going to hurt sometimes, this division. But it's going to be there. We can try to fight against it. And I think we should fight for unity as much as we can. But there's a point where the city is going to be divided. There's a point where you're going to have to pack your bags and go. Like Paul and Barnabas did. And lastly, the truth will set people free. And you know that, right? If you accept the truth, it might hurt at first. But later it will bring healing and it will bring peace. I think it's one of the hardest challenges for people, you know, that struggle with, for example, the big stuff going around, you know, transgenderism. It, it's very hard to come to a point to accept that that is actually not the truth, that you cannot change your sex. But when you accept that, although it's very hard, and, and perhaps for some people it hits them in the core and it hurts them to their deepest being, that truth will actually save them and set them free if they walk with the Lord of truth through that trial. It's possible.